0: Jerusalem is a city of prophecy. The prophet Daniel spoke about Jerusalem and spoke about the, the temple. And when Jesus came, Jesus gave one of the most remarkable prophecies about this city and the great temple area. Jesus said, you see these stones? I tell you the truth. The whole thing is going to be torn down. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. It's going to be thrown to the ground. And the prophet Daniel said that the people of the prince who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Let me tell you the amazing story. In 66 AD, the Jewish people, after being provoked by the Romans, rose up against the Romans. And the Romans dispatched a Syrian general. He was a Roman general, really, living in Syria. His name was Cestius Gallus. And he came down here to Jerusalem and surrounded the city. He was breaking down a wall of the city and having remarkable success when for some unknown reason he retreated and went down the Beth Horan road to the coast. The Jews came out like hornets. And what fighters they were and what fighters they are today. And uh, the Jews uh, came out like hornets and they attacked the Roman soldiers in the Beth Horan passes. And in one day, the Jewish people put to death 6,000 Roman soldiers. This was in 66 AD. They were so confident of their success that they struck a coin that said, In our first year of liberty. Something else was occurring at the same time. The Christians were leaving the city because Jesus said, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, know that its desolation is nigh, flee to the mountains." And at this time, the Jewish Christians left the city of Jerusalem and fled to a little town by the name of Pala. Just as well, because the Romans came back, and they came back under Titus. And the first thing that Titus did was to build a wall right around the city city of Jerusalem. If you are inside the city, ah, my friend, that's where you stayed. And if you are outside the city, just as well, because inside the city it was soon to be a scene of desolation and death. The Romans were encamped outside the city, and they stayed there simply waiting for the people to starve themselves to death and to fight among themselves. And this plan largely succeeded. And at the end of the year, in 70 A.D., Titus attacked the city with tremendous force. He broke down the walls, and awful slaughter took place. But Titus wanted to spare the temple. And he said to his soldiers, whatever happens, you must spare the temple. It is the holy place of the great God of heaven. But Some of the Jewish rebels fled inside the temple, and the Roman soldiers were were determined that they were going to root them out and destroy them. And so a Roman soldier went down into the temple area, and he took a flaming torch, and he threw it into the temple, and immediately the temple caught fire. Titus himself, the general, rushed down into the temple, And he said to his soldiers, put out the fire, put out the fire. But there was gold in the temple and the gold started to melt and the gold was running down the steps of the temple and mingling with the blood of the Jewish soldiers who were fighting to the death. Titus said, put out the fire. I command you in the name of Caesar, put out the fire. But his soldiers went crazy and they refused to obey their commanding officer and soon The whole temple was ablaze on these hills, on the Mount of Olives, right around this area. The Jewish people stood and cried in anguish, Ichabod, 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 the glory is departed. And thus the prophecy of Jesus came to pass. Not only the prophecy of Jesus, but the prophecy of Daniel, because Daniel said, The people of the prince who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. It was not the prince who destroyed the sanctuary. It was the people of the prince, the Roman soldiers. The prophecy came to pass remarkably. I tell you, my friend, here is amazing evidence that the Bible is the word of God and that there is a God in heaven. I tell you today from the Mount of Olives, you can believe in God. You can believe in the Bible. Have you heard of The Hobbits? The Hobbits? Well, that was a book that was written by a scholar, an Oxford Don, a great scholar, oh, more than 50 years ago, at the greatest... University, possibly the greatest university in the world. His closest friend was a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. Can I see the hands of those who've read C.S. Lewis? Mere Christianity? The Problem of Pain? Did you know he also wrote science fiction? C.S. Lewis was an atheist originally and when he was in the foxholes fighting the Germans in the First World War, he was filled with despair. He was a classical scholar, one of the greatest scholars of the 20th century. At least he was to become one of the greatest scholars but already he was a great scholar and when he went back to Oxford, he joined a club The club was called the Inklings. And these scholars would sit around and they would talk about Greek and all the great ancient philosophers and they became very interested in the myths of the past. And when they studied these myths, they discovered some interesting facts that the king often would die, the great hero, as he fought the hordes of evil, the king would be killed in the fight. But then the king would come to life again and the king would come back, the return of the king. So C.S. Lewis had a friend. His name was Tolkien. He was an Oxford don great scholar and as they talked together, these Oxford scholars, some of them were Christians and some of them were atheists and C.S. Lewis started to think in his mind and the thoughts had started back in the days of the great war between 1914 and 1918, he started to think could it be that there is an intelligent force in the universe Then they talked about the concept of beauty. And C.S. Lewis thought if there is beauty, there must be somebody who devised all the beauty in the world. And if there is good in the world, there must be a source for goodness. And also a source for evil. And after a number of years, C.S. Lewis became a Christian an evangelical Christian who believed that Jesus was the Messiah who died for the sins of the world on the cross. This was a rarefied atmosphere in which to discuss this theology because these were possibly some of the, no, not possibly, these were some of the greatest minds of the age working in the rarefied atmosphere of Oxford University. Then they said to themselves, how can we reach the pagan world around us? Because Christianity in Great Britain is on the retreat. The churches are dying. And so C.S. Lewis started to write fictitious stories that spoke about the great controversy. The great controversy between Christ and Satan carefully veiled so unbelievers would read it and would not be turned off. And Tolkien started to write a book that was called uh, The Hobbits. And uh, he found it so difficult to write that he would lay it down for months at a time. And C.S. Lewis would go to him and say, There's good in this book. When the inklings would meet, they would discuss the book, The Hobbits. And soon, well, it wasn't soon, but after some years, the book, The Hobbits, was finished. It was the story of the great controversy between Christ and Satan, but carefully veiled. It was the story of the fall of Lucifer, and how Lucifer would set up a counterfeit government to the government of the king. And in the story, The Hobbits, you have these tremendous wars between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. All of this written in the rarefied atmosphere of Oxford University by these British scholars who were believers in the king. And in the story, the king is killed, but the king comes to life again, and it is called The Return of the King. And uh, when the book was finally published in the year 1950. 54, it was after being turned down by so many publishers who said, there is no merit to this story at all and no one would be slightly interested. And so, as the years went by and those who originated the theme and the plot passed to their rest as believers in Christ, It was filmed down under in New Zealand, put together by a New Zealand gentleman, the producer, who is a genius of a genius. All the scenery is down under in New Zealand. And when The return of the king opened in North America. It was to break all the records on the first weekend and go beyond anything that they had dreamed possible. And as the wandering multitudes came out of seeing the return of the king, they said, how interesting. What an amazing story! Little did most of them know that the King is Jesus, who died and who was raised from the dead. And in the last great battle, he destroys the forces of Lucifer. I want you to notice today a chapter in the Bible and firstly you will say to me, Pastor Carter, what has this got to do with the return of the king? But this chapter in the Bible talks about God's eternal purpose and the great plan of the great Christ to come to this earth and destroy the forces of darkness and do it through the shedding of his own blood. I tell you, my friend, the greatest story of all is not the story of the myths. No, no, no. The greatest story of them all is the story that is found in the pages of your Bible. And I would like you to take your Bibles now and hold them up and we're going to say what we like to say in this church. Hold up your Bible, please. This is a Bible-believing church. This is a church where people are not being brainwashed by religious salesmen. This is a church where people read the Bible and check out the pastor, okay? Amen. Hold up your Bible. This is my Bible. This is, my Bible. This is God's Word. This is God's word. God, has God has a message for me today. His message will give me everlasting life. AND MAKE ME A BETTER PERSON person. AS I CONTEMPLATE contemplate THE RETURN OF THE KING. king. I NOW OPEN MY HEART heart TO RECEIVE GOD'S WORD word. IN THE NAME OF JESUS CHRIST, Christ. Amen. Amen. AMEN AND AMEN. NOW PLEASE TURN TO THE BOOK OF EPHESIANS written by one of the greatest minds in the history of the world. A great Jewish scholar. His name was, can you tell me? Paul. What was his Hebrew name? Saul. He was named after Saul of Tarsus, the great king of Israel. But Paul was his Roman name. Paul, Ephesians 1, we shall consider now God's eternal purpose that paves the way for the return of the king. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, the word Christ means the Messiah, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. I would urge you to notice the text because today we're going to have, according to the time that is provided for us, an exposition of these verses. Paul, an apostle. What does the word apostle mean, I wonder? It is not the same as the word disciple. It comes from the Greek word apostello. Does anybody know what it means? Apostello. It, apostello means descend. The apostle Paul was sent by God to preach the word. May I say to the ministers who may be watching this telecast: every minister is called by God to be an apostle. He is sent forth to preach. Now some ministers may say, but I am called to administer. I'm so glad that we have administrators, but I'm much gladder that we have apostles who are sent forth to preach. And Paul was sent forth to preach. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Many years ago, somebody sent me a little plaque on which were written the words, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. I've had some people say to me, I would be afraid to live in Los Angeles because of the crime. Others have said to me, Are you not afraid to go to Krasnoyarsk in Siberia because of the pollution? Outside Krasnoyarsk, there is a nuclear dump. Sometimes the pollution is so bad in the city that when the planes come into land, their instruments go haywire. And people have said to me, you would never get me to go to those places. I'm glad that Jesus didn't think as you did then, friend, because Jesus would never have come down to this earth that is so dreadfully polluted. It is safe to go where the will of God takes you. And the safest place is the place where God wants you to be. The Apostle Paul was an apostle by the will of God. Now when a man is called by the church, that is fine as long as he is also called by God. And being called by God must predate his being called by the church. And here is a man who was called by God according to the will of God. To the saints in Ephesus. Now I've been over to the great city of Rome and watch the Pope make somebody into a saint. But I have news for you and for the Pope. If you're not a saint on earth, you'll never be a saint in heaven. And in the Bible, there is no such thing as a dead saint. And I've gone over to Rome into that great, marvelous, wonderful edifice, that great church, and I've seen a person made into a saint. But the Bible teaches, and that person had been dead for donkey's years. (laughs) Donkey's years means a long period of time. My beloved American friends. It is an Australian expression, possibly because there may be more donkeys there than here. But that I doubt. (laughs) Would you like to know what a saint is? Well, I'm looking hopefully at some today. A saint is a child of God. Any person who becomes a born-again believing Christian is a saint. The word means the holy ones. Called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. If you're not a saint down here, friend, you'll never be a saint in heaven. So he writes to the saints of God in Ephesus. That was a city in Asia Minor. Grace and peace. What comes first? That's why you can't have peace in the Middle East because there's no grace. Well, you shoot me up, I'll shoot you up. You build a wall, I'll knock it down. You perform a terrorist act, well, I'll do one on you. The Bible says, There is no peace saith my God to the wicked. Grace and peace. We discover peace with God and peace with men and peace with our own souls when we have the grace of God in our hearts. Grace always precedes peace, and grace always brings peace. Come down to verse 3. Praised be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the doorway to a great section on praise who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything we have, every blessing we share is because of the grace of God in Christ. Now listen to this. Often the Christian religion is derided. On occasions you'll meet some person who will say, we have too many churches. It is only because of the grace of God shown through the Christian church that this world has not been ruined long since. You take Christ out of the world, take Christ out of, the, out of the United States of America and we will have a time of terror such as never was since there was a nation. It is Christ who has given to this nation liberty. Why does America have more liberty than most nations? Why does America have more liberty than Saudi Arabia? Because of Christ. Amen. That is why. Not because of atheism, but because of Christ and Christianity. Every spiritual blessing. Verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. There are some powerful words here. For he chose us in him. He chose, that's election. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Listen to this. The Bible says, before life, as we understand it, was on this planet, there was a mighty war in heaven. And Lucifer, the angel who stood in the very presence of God, rebelled against God. And before the world was made, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit devised the plan of redemption before the creation of this world. How long back that was, I do not know, but it was back eons. And the Bible says that before the creation of the world, God had a plan for you. Isn't this amazing? God had a plan for you. One of the prophets said, before I was in my mother's womb, God saw me. I want you to know this today. God saw you Before you were conceived, God saw you before the world was made. God saw you and God predestined that you would be in this church and that you would be saved and go to His kingdom. And God predestined that you would become holy and blameless in His sight. Now today, sitting here in this church, and I do not wish to unduly embarrass her, is Misty. Now, Misty saw this telecast. Because of circumstances, Misty uh, had a trauma, that through no fault of her own, uh, had a trauma in her life And she was led to contemplate the knowledge of God. And she went to some churches and said, No, I don't find that God is there. Those people are simply being brainwashed by religious salesmen and charlatans. And then she saw this church service and she started to read the Bible. And Misty is joining this church. I want to say, Misty, this was not some coincidence. This was the plan of God. Before the world was made, before you were conceived, God saw you. God had you on his mind. Now people say to me, do you believe in predestination? Of course I do. Well, the Bible talks about it. What are you going to say? oh, I'm going to cut those texts out of the Bible because I don't understand them. Somebody says to me, well, do you understand it? I say, of course I don't. There are two great truths in the Bible that I don't understand. Freedom of choice, number one. And number two, the sovereignty of God. Because by all logic, they are incompatible. How can you have freedom of choice when God gets his way? Because he does. And one theologian, much cleverer than I am, said that the two mutually exclusive doctrines in our thinking will only be resolved in the mind of God. I don't believe that God has predestined certain people to eternal damnation, as John Calvin taught. I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible teaches it. But I believe this That before this world was made, God had a plan to overthrow Lucifer and to set up his kingdom and to save his people and to save you. And the Bible says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now yesterday, now this will be completely confidential and uh, nobody will ever know whom I'm speaking of, but somebody called my home and said, I would like to adopt a Russian baby. And uh, the lady who called told me she wanted to talk to Beverly. Why couldn't she talk to me about stuff like this? I don't know. As you know, I consider I'm an authority in all things Russian. (laughs) But she wants to adopt a Russian baby. I'd like to adopt a Russian baby. I'd like to talk Beverly into that. I'd like to have a dozen of them. I'm telling you, when you go to these orphanages and see these beautiful little children and nobody really cares about them, You want to take them all home with you. But this lady wants to adopt a Russian baby, and she said, is it possible? And the answer is, yes, it is. Now, I don't want lots of people sending me emails and saying, can you get me a Russian baby? (laughs) Because it's not easy. But it can be done. But don't contact me. Is that all right? (laughs) Except this lady who contacted us, because I'm not in the adoption business. But what a wonderful thing it is when somebody can go from a a land like the United States of America and to go to Russia, maybe to Krasnoyarsk, into a hellhole, into an orphanage where little children are wet and cold and sick because there are no medicines and arrange with the Russian government to take that little baby out of that hell hole and take that baby to a place that is in the eyes of many people, a paradise. That's what God has done for you. God saw us in an orphanage. He saw us by ourselves. He saw us cold and wet. And he said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to save them. It costs money to adopt. Did you know that? Nothing's free except the blood of Jesus. But Jesus said, I want to adopt these children who've gone astray. And the devil said, I own them and it's going to cost you your blood. And Jesus, with his own blood, paid the price so that you and so that so John Carter, all of us can become his children and live in his house in paradise. Isn't that something? Now verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. all oh, that's good. Which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Listen to me. You may say, you don't understand me. I'm not a good person. I've broken all of God's commandments. I don't like church. I don't like religious people because I found most of them are hypocrites. Well, That may be how you found it. But I want to tell you something. There is something that is greater than all of our sins. You know what it is? It's grace. The Bible says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And long, long, long time ago before the world was made, God said, I see you. And God started to pour out his grace. What is this grace? The Bible says he lavished this grace. Somebody preached a sermon on Luke. The prodigal son. And he said in that chapter you got three prodigals. The bad boy. The big brother. He's a prodigal in meanness. He's a skinflint. He's a scrooge. The third person, this preacher said, the third prodigal is God. God, a prodigal? Well, the word prodigal means extravagant, almost wasteful, abundant. So God saw the terrible mess in the world and God said, I'm going to pour it out and I'm not going to hold anything back. Listen, you may have a problem that is overwhelming. I want you to know that where your problem exists, the grace of God is bigger. Amen. It doesn't matter how bad the problem is. It doesn't matter how big the sin is. It doesn't matter how depressed the mind is. It doesn't matter how bad the in laws are. I've got a sermon on in laws and outlaws. It doesn't matter if the in-laws are our outlaws. There's grace. There's mercy. God is not like the human race because most of us are calculating. Most of us are tight. Most of us are selfish, but God is not selfish. God loves to give. That's why Jesus went to parties because Jesus liked to give. And he poured out this grace and he poured out the grace so much that it took him to the cross and the Bible says redemption through his blood. Now verse 9 says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. It tells you who's in charge here, doesn't it? God is in charge. The mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I want you to think about these words the Bible talks about in the fullness of time. When things were ready, nothing just happens in the world without the express permission of Almighty God. Now sometimes, I don't know if you're like this, but the world is too strong for the spirit. And you go to Europe and as post-Christian, people hardly go to church anymore in Europe more Muslims go to the mosque in Great Britain than Anglicans go to church. And then people come to you in America and they say, but have you heard about what they're doing in that church? I said, what are they doing? Well, this great television church is saying that women can't pray to God. There's a lady here today, she went to that church. She said, can I pray to God? Or do I have to go through my husband? I said, boy, that's quite an idea. I've never thought of using that one. What a monstrous idea, folks. Talk about chauvinism. Used by men to keep women where they ought to be, you see. That's the Taliban evangelical movement in America. And so people look at this and they see the problems in the world. Well, thank God they caught the butcher of Baghdad. Aren't you glad they caught Saddam? Yeah? But listen to me. I'm glad he was caught. But there's lots of Saddams. Mm -hmm. You catch one and it makes another hundred. You go and look in Africa where virtually every... Head of state is a dictator, and the people are being persecuted. In one of those states down there, the the leader of the state was actually a cannibal. He ate the people, he ate his enemies. That was in the Congo. That was Idi Amin. And you look at all those things, and you look at the Middle East, and you wonder what's going to happen. And then there's been a lot of noise over the the chit-chat room of the terrace and people say, America better watch out. And then a bunch of Australians who like to have a good time went up to Bali and there they're having a great time and the place is blown up and a couple of hundred Australians are killed like that, you see. So Australia is not as relaxed as it used to be. They used to say it was the lucky country. It's not as lucky as it used to be. And people wonder, where's it all going to end? People say, you know, things are getting so bad and people start to feel depressed. They say, what's, what's gone wrong? What's, well, we know what's gone wrong. There's an evil force in the universe, but the Bible says God is in charge. Yes. God has got a plan. And the Bible says God has a mystery. You like mystery stories? Well, this Bible talks about the greatest mystery story of all times, and the great mystery is this. God, the creator of the universe, the creator of 10,000 billion trillion galaxies, said, BECAUSE MY PEOPLE HAVE GONE ASTRAY AND BECAUSE THEY HAVE BEEN DECEIVED BY THIS EVIL MONSTER. THE GREAT MYSTERY IS THAT GOD SAID, I will come down and I will become a man and I will live among them and I will feel the lashes of the Roman lash across my back and I will allow myself to be crucified. I will die for their sins. What a mystery. God would do this so that Jews and Gentiles could be part of the kingdom of God. That is the mystery. And that mystery was devised eons ago in the mind of the eternal trinity when God said, I will become a man. Now the Muslims say that's crazy. God would never become a man because he's too remote. We worship the great self-existent God Allah, But we can't have a personal experience with him because he's remote. The Hindus say, well, we've got literally millions of gods. But the God whom we serve, the God who made the universe, is not remote. He's warm, he's tender, he's kind. He's unselfish. He's full of grace. And he's bursting forth with every virtue, all the love, and he becomes a man. You tell me you think television's interesting? You know, I got satellite like all of you. Let me tell you, folks, something. It's the most boring thing about I've ever seen. You click through it. Ugh. Uh, uh, History Channel, or is that the Hitler Channel? Then you go on, <laughs> you sort of get sick of seeing Hitler again. Uh, then there's the Second World War and the longest day, and oh goodness. Then you get on to the soapies. Goodness, what's wrong with them? They must have fried their brains in so much pot. And people look at that stuff, and you know what they've discovered what happens to them? Their brains start to die. And so if you're preaching to a congregation of television addicts, realize you'll be preaching to people whose brains are dead. And that's why in some congregations, people don't read their Bibles. They say, "Oh' it's a bit hard to see it, a bit hard to read. What are those big, long words? I think it's boring. But the greatest story is the story in this book. I want to say to you, I want to say to my Australian friends watching this telecast listen, to my Aussie brothers and sisters, I give it to you from this Aussie heart. Here it comes, straight between the eyes. There's nothing in the world as, interest, as interesting, as powerful, as wonderful, as mysterious as the Bible. Try reading it. Some folks have put out a Bible over in Australia called the Aussie Bible. Well, it's certainly down to earth, I can tell you that. Goodness. Verse 10, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. When the times will have reached their fulfillment, everything is going according to a great plan. Jesus was born on time, he lived on time, he died on time, he was resurrected on time, and he's going to come back on time. And the king, my friend, who was betrayed eons ago by the great antichrist, by Lucifer, who was murdered by the chosen people of God, by their religious leaders. Apparently, he suffered a deadly wound. But the Bible says, listen, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. You see, there was a rebellion in the universe. Another translation says to bring all the universe together. There's been a great war going on and billions of beings have been deceived. One third of the angels. And in the movie, the first one, the Lord of the Rings, you'll see there the demons and you'll see the man in charge of the demons, an apostate who turned away from the great king, and he is beautiful. But the demons, that's another thing. But the day is coming when the demons are going to be destroyed and because of the atoning sacrifice of our blessed Lord on the cross, Christ is going to come and he's going to solve the sin problem. He's going to bring together heaven and earth verse 11 says in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will my friend everything is on track amen god has got a plan god has got a purpose everything is working Verse 12, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Listen. People say to me, I don't know whether I'm going to be saved or not. People say to me, I'm not sure of my salvation. I'm not sure that I can make it through the judgment. People say, I never have any peace. When I go to church, I tremble. I go to church because I'm afraid. The Bible tells me, when I come to Christ and accept his death for my sins, the Holy Spirit comes into my heart. I am sealed. I am safe. My salvation is assured. Little wonder we sing the hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. You can know today that you're right with God. You can have a perfect peace. You can have a perfect assurance. You can know you're going to be with Christ in paradise because Jesus paid it all. That's the good news. Verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power to us who believe. to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way listen to me as far as god is concerned the battle has been won many of the battles you and i have are battles of our own making we bring it upon ourselves Back in Australia, years and years ago in ancient history, I drove a bulldozer, a tractor to earn my fees to go to Avondale College. I know how to move earth. I worked in the tropics where there are the most poisonous snakes in the world. Snakes that make your snakes look like puppy dogs. <laughs> I was driving the tractor one day and I got off because I had to service the thing. In those days, you used to pump the oil, the grease into the tracks. Mm. Those days, I was brown and strong. <laughs> I'm brown today because I have makeup on. <laughs> and. When I'd finished servicing the tractor, I walked over to an old car seat that we used to sit on, you know, full of that cotton wool stuff. Put my hand in and pulled out a six-foot brown snake. Came out. Well, I don't remember much what happened after that except that I was sitting in the tractor seat. (laughs) I really believed I took one leap and landed in the tractor seat. (laughs) Tractor was up about six feet. This is a true story. There was this big brown snake, six feet long, thick as a man's arm, with the poison of about uh, twenty or thirty or fifty. Keep going, doesn't matter. <laughs> rattlesnakes, rattlesnakes are babies. I've seen them. I go, I see them every day. I go for a walk. If you're bitten by a rattlesnake, it's because you're dumb. He's got a little thing he puts up and says, get out of my way, for crying out loud. And you have people go and sit on a rattlesnake. If you sit on a rattlesnake when he's saying, get out of my way, you, you've got what's coming to you. So here was this brown snake, deadly. He threw himself at the tractor. So I know how to drive a tractor, so I went after him with the tractor. They can't go that fast, you know, a snake. People think they are 20 miles an hour. Go about three miles an hour. I went after him, and as I ran over him, I locked the track. Screwed it around. <laughs> yeah. Don't take me on. <laughs> broke his back. Let me tell you something. The snake continues to twitch, there's an old legend in Australia, until sunset. Jesus broke. THE ENEMY'S BACK ON CALVARY. HE'S STILL TWITCHING. BUT HE'S A DEFEATED foe. IF YOU GO NEAR HIS HEAD, HE CAN STILL BITE YOU. STILL GOT VENOM THERE. HE CAN STILL BITE YOU. BUT I WANT TO TELL YOU SOMETHING. THE BIBLE TELLS ME THAT JESUS IS LORD OVER ALL. HIS NAME IS ABOVE EVERY EARTHLY NAME. ABOVE MUHAMMAD. Above the gods of the heathen. He's above all of them. He is Lord of the universe, Lord over Satan, Lord over the hosts of darkness. And the good news is this the King is coming. And when this glorious king returns. He sets up a kingdom. And there are two powers in the universe. The power of, of darkness and there's the power of light. If you don't belong to Christ it's because you're being deceived by the hosts of darkness. And you can be on the winning side because Jesus, by his blood, paid it all on the cross and broke the back of the serpent, Lucifer. Therefore, my appeal to you today is this. Believe in Christ. Accept him as the Messiah. Make him today... Your Lord and Savior, the King is coming. We look forward to the return of the King because the Lord Jesus Christ is our King.